Good afternoon, good evening. This is Dove Tesman, and you're back on Equal Footing. We're trying to live up to our purpose tonight as a show that's not afraid of looking silly sometimes. Diving in through a spiritual or religious prism into the unknown, the difficult to talk about, sometimes even the embarrassing to bring up. Nothing should be off limits to at least discuss, right? It's all part of the Almighty's creation. We are going to push the boundary on that point, though, tonight. This is the first in a three-part series where we look at the intersection of science and Torah, science and halacha, Jewish law and Jewish wisdom. And tonight, we're going to be talking about extraterrestrial life, the halacha of aliens, as it were. We've got a couple of Wonderful guests. I'm going to introduce them in a moment, but let me try to get out on the table for a sec why this is potentially so controversial. Is Judaism spiritually prepared for little green men? This Dr. David Weintraub is a professor of astronomy at Vanderbilt University, also the author of Religions and Extraterrestrial Life, How Will We Deal With It? He put it that way. Well, I think you'll be surprised to know There's a lot of talk about this, and there's a consensus, it seems, although we'll see if one of our guests will disagree with that, that as it pertains to Jewish theology, Judaism accepts the possibility of extraterrestrial life. In fact, one author, Aaron Moss, said, it's just about as controversial as if we found out there's a new species of rabbit. It's on the table as far as Judaism is concerned. On another day and another night, we might talk about whether that's true in other Abrahamic faiths like Christianity and Islam. Spoiler alert, not so easy to accept for various reasons in those faiths. But if extraterrestrial life does exist, and it, for example, predates human life, does that present some sort of inherent conflict with Torah? With halacha? I don't know. I think our guests know a thousand times more than I do about it. But I have geeked out over the last week or two with our wonderful producer, Leah, going down this rabbit hole. And in the rabbit hole with us this week are one new guest and one old hand at debates here on Equal Footing. Let's introduce our wonderful new guest first, Daniel Friedman. Daniel is an acclaimed author, scientist, entrepreneur. He's won the International Reader's Favorite Book Award. And Daniel studies the origin of the universe and life on Earth from both the scientific and biblical perspectives. He has very advanced degrees with lots of uh, letters that I won't say here on the air. I might get them wrong. But uh, doctoral work, master's work in engineering and in physics. His work on reconciling the biblical accounts with scientific observation utilizes a biblical clock formula. It's been reported in conferences, newspapers, magazines, television, and radio around the world. He'll get into that, I'm sure. Daniel is the chairman and CEO of Carbon Engineering. It's a company that leads the commercialization of groundbreaking 
technology called direct air capture. It has to do with capturing carbon dioxide directly from the atmosphere and it mitigates climate change. Cool stuff. Probably talk about it on another show if we can convince him to come back. Daniel is the president and CEO of a global communications and information technology company up until 2016. His books, you got to check them out. Daniel Friedman, two ends at the end. Daniel's books are on Amazon. Many of them are free on Kindle. Just search for Daniel Friedman. His books include things like uh, Genesis OE Code, Mysteries of the First Instant, and The Inception of Our Universe. Daniel, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you for joining. Hopefully we've got you on the air. There you are. Hi, Daniel. Can you hear me? Yeah, speak up a little bit when we're on the air as we get into it. But yeah, we can hear you, and nice to have you on. Now, Thank you for having me. I want to introduce uh, your compadre in tonight's discussion, Rabbi Shlomo Yafi. I love having Rabbi Yafi on the show. He's uh, always challenges me to go deeper and has is not ever shy in correcting my misunderstandings around halacha and Torah wisdom. Rabbi Yafi is the Dean of the Institute of American and Talmudic Law in New York. He's, dire- he's the director of the Institute for Judaic Knowledge. He's a member of the editorial staff at Chabad.org. Rabbi Yaffe has lectured, led seminars, and uh, visiting scholar programs throughout North America, as well as in Mexico, Europe, and Africa. He's written extensively on various forums. He's authored several educational programs, including serving as the lead author for the Roar Jewish Learning Institutes, Living with Integrity course. He recently was scholar-in-residence at the Chabad House at Harvard, my alma mater, where he served the Harvard and MIT communities. And he's written and thought a lot about this issue of what we've kind of tongue-in-cheek called the halacha of aliens. Rabbi Yaffe, welcome back to Equal Footing. Thank you. I hope you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you both. I'm just going to ask you both to kind of, A, speak up when you're talking, and B, maybe put it on mute when you're not, because we're getting a little background noise. But let's start with you, uh, Daniel. This is not a this is not a science show. We don't. We could probably spend hours talking about the probability of uh, extraterrestrial life, um, but I think there's a bit of a, there. There is a consensus forming on this issue, is there not? I mean, Daniel, I, I read in a Pew Research Institute study um, in preparation for the show that while about eighty percent of Americans in general say their best guess is there is intelligent life in the universe away from Earth. That number for people that have scientific PhDs in the United States is, is closer to 100%. It's about 96% of people holding scientific PhDs in the United States believe that intelligent life uh, definitely or almost certainly exists somewhere else in the universe. So is something changed in the last couple of decades, Daniel? Is there a consensus now, just to get this out of the way at the beginning of the program, that extraterrestrial life somewhere out there uh, is almost certain to exist? Yeah, I think two things changed. Uh, first, people got more certain in science that life could appear naturally and evolve naturally. And since there's so many planets out there that that would likely have happened somewhere else. But more recently, in the last two or three years, it's gone a little bit the other way. Uh, we have realized that the conditions on Earth are really quite special. We always knew they were special, but we, we, they get more special every day. We study them more carefully. And, uh, you know, it's going to be harder. But by and large, the scientists believe 
this because just just the United States, NASA alone, is spending a lot of money looking for these aliens. Yeah, in preparation for this show, I got flooded with articles thanks to you guys, thanks to our producer on the subject. And I, I wasn't aware how many governments over the last several years have gotten gotten over the taboo, as it were. Uh, not only the United States, but the UK, France, Germany, Israel, South Korea and others uh, now have dedicated programs uh, that are not only dedicated to exploring and identifying extraterrestrial life, but work from the presumption that extraterrestrial intelligent life does exist. And it's a matter of somehow being aware of it or where it is and making contact potentially someday. Uh, now, just to finish up this point and kind of the astrobiologist side of things, is there uh, any kind of news coming, Daniel, over the next um, you know, couple of decades, are there probes out there? Are there are there um, studies and programs that you think will yield more definition on this topic? The main expenditure at this stage is looking for so-called planets in the habitable zone or planets that are Earth-like, uh, and seeing if we we can identify them. But we're quite a ways from being able to identify intelligent life, we might be able to figure out some vegetation. Um, um, but uh, I think we're quite far away from being able, unless it's, unless it's way more intelligent than us and they come visit us. <laughs> well, we're going to get that. Actually, that's a good segue into my que- first question to you, Rabbi Yaffe. One of the interesting things that came out of this study, there was a, a, a YouGov study and a Pew Research Institute study collaboratively uh, a couple years ago on beliefs around extraterrestrial life. And it found, I, I already quoted, that around 80% at large in the population have a best guess, quote-unquote, that intelligent life exists somewhere away from Earth. Um, they, they, they didn't break out uh, observant Jewish respondents, but with religious Christian respondents, that number went all the way down to 57%. And there is substantial data out there that people that are self-qualified as religiously observant are less likely to believe in intelligent life out away from from our little globe. Um, now, Rabbi Yaffe, as on, the, on as a, as an observant Jew, do you do we? Ha, is there an intrinsic issue or problem in in believing in extraterrestrial intelligent life? Rabbi Yaffe, do we have you? I think you're. You should be there, Rabbi Yaffe. Maybe you're on mute. All right. Well, maybe we've lost him for a moment, Daniel. You do you you study both Torah and science, so help us out here. Is there is there an inherent conflict? Uh, I kind of gave a little bit of a teaser at this right in my intro, but is there an inherent conflict on the Jewish side in belief in extraterrestrial intelligent life? Can I talk to somebody? Hello. Yes, uh, Rabbi Yaffe, are you back? No, it's not the Rabbi. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think there was a caller that came in. Yeah, okay. Little- there I'm, you are. I'm back. Okay. Did you catch the question, Rabbi? The question is, is there an inherent problem believing in intelligence extraterrestrial life? So um, from my perspective, which I share with my great teacher, uh, the Rebbe, there may be an issue with certain types of intelligent life. However, that's neither here nor there. In other words, what people believe about about uh, extraterrestrial life is utterly irrelevant 
In other words, either such life will emerge, uh, will emerge to our attention, whether it exists or not, or it won't. Anything that happens that emerges to our attention, uh, since it is fundamental to Jewish belief that the Torah, not in time, because time itself is a created entity with a beginning, uh, according to Jewish theology, but proceeding in concept, the Torah precedes existence and is the blueprint for existence. What that simply means is that we believe in a created universe, we believe in a a God with a purpose in creation, a creator with a purpose in creation, and therefore anything that exists in creation is dealt with by the Torah to the extent that it is that, that human choice uh, is relevant. And remember, the Torah is universal. It is, uh, there is a, the 613 vote and articles of belief that Jews have to believe, but the Torah is universal and uh, the in, in the premise of the Noahide laws represents the totality. So and Rabbi Yaffe, in the, in the opening words of the Torah, it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Is this kind of... That's not to- actually what it says. That's not actually what it says. Um, it may, that, that verse is grammatically problematic. It may mean in the beginning of God's creation of heaven and the earth, not telling you exactly, uh, you know, where that process begins. It could be veracious with a quality of beginningness, with this singularity that Nachmanides talks about, and many other. In other words, there's at least six different interpretations other than in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. But go on with your question. Yeah, Rabbi uh, Rabbi Benjamin Blech, who's been on the show before, he's written about this as well, is interesting. He also acknowledges, just as you did, uh, that, that there are various ways to interpret the grammar in those opening words, but that he, he says kind of, and I'm, maybe I'm taking this away as a, kind of a banal kind of layman's reading, but it could be that that's just presented that way in the Torah as, you know, the information in his words is granted to earthlings as necessary for our relationship with God. God, but it doesn't exclude other manifestations of divine power, creativity, and consciousness. So, okay, so uh, I'll, I'll stop you. Classical Jewish approach is that the Torah is true, and uh, and what that means to say is where where God describes the Torah as binding and eternal, and His word will not be changed, and uh, as discussed extensively in the prophets, which we also understand. Uh, to be information downloaded from the Almighty, um, we we uh, we understand uh, that uh, that this that this represents an absolute truth. What it means to say is that it represents something that is binding uh, upon all existence, uh, upon all it describes all existence and is binding upon any existence. We'll talk about this later. That conceivably has free will. We're so take, the, it's we're not take possible our... that there's more than one Torah right. from a classic Jewish perspective. Got it, it means if there's someone out there in Andromeda, they are bound at least if they if they're if they are a type of intelligent life that is truly free will. Something we'll talk about the Yishalmi, either in other places. If that is the case, yes. If that is the case, then they are bound by the seven Noahide laws. The same as any other human being on this planet. We're gonna again, we're gonna take our first break. This is fascinating stuff. And after the break, Rabbi Yaffe, Daniel, I'm gonna ask you to actually walk us through some of the examples in our sacred texts 
uh, the book of Judges, Song of Songs, and and in uh, in Gomorrah, where there are what seem like references to aliens. We'll be right back on equal footing with business person, scientist, lecturer on Torah and science, Daniel Friedman, Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe, talking about the halacha of aliens. We'll be right back. As you can tell, on equal footing, we're not uh, afraid to talk about stuff that sometimes people are embarrassed to bring up. And it goes, it's a, it's a deep rooted philosophy that there should be no shame in asking questions. And in Jewish life in particular, uh, that's what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to ask questions about difficult subjects to get guidance in our life. One of our sponsors is in line with that way of seeing the world. And, and in practice, it applies in this case to relationship issues that have to do with erectile dysfunction. You heard me right. It's an issue that affects about two-thirds of men in their lifetime. It is nothing to be ashamed about. It's nothing non-Jewish about it. Manhattan Medical focuses on erectile dysfunction, does a lot of work in our community, has an enduring remedy that's been used for many years in Europe, more recently in Canada, and even more recently in the United States. It's an alternative remedy to erectile dysfunction that does not involve expensive blue pills that a lot of patients cannot take because of comorbidities and side effects. Manhattan Medical's therapy is called Gaines Wave. It helps the vast majority of patients with erectile dysfunction achieve excellent results. It is non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. You got to check it out. The number to call for Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for ED is 888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888-ED-CURE-9. You can get a free consultation if you call and mention that you heard about it on equal footing. That's a $250 value. I'm going to give the number one more time. You don't have to be in Manhattan. You don't have to be in the New York area. Manhattan Medical's teleconsults and prescriptions are available anywhere in the United States. The number once more, 888, and this is in numbers instead of letters, 332-8739. Call now. Operators are standing by, 888-332-8739. I've been caught. We're back on equal footing. We're talking about extraterrestrials through the through the prism of Jewish wisdom and Jewish law. We're joined by Daniel Friedman and Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe. We can't let a show like this go by without talking about some of the references that some scholars, many scholars, think may refer to extraterrestrial life in our sacred texts. But first, let me give out that number again to the caller that we hung up on before and we had a little bit of that audio glitch. I apologize. Please call back in. Just be patient on hold with our wonder, wonderful uh, studio engineer here, Dimitri. Just call back and be patient. The number to participate is 718-303-9090. That's 718 718- 
303-9090. That's to call, participate live. If you want to text, as many of you do, if you want to text a question or WhatsApp a question in and that's more comfortable for you, that's fine. But it's a different number. Here it is, 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062 to send a WhatsApp or an SMS question or comment to our guests. Okay. Uh, so let's, I, I want to throw out, let, Daniel, let's go back to you for a moment. I know you study Torah and science. There is, we'll, we'll get back to Genesis in a moment, but probably as a layperson, the least controversial reference to the extraterrestrial, to extraterrestrial life in our text seems to be in the book of Judges when Devorah the prophetess sings about the victory of Barak over Sisera. And in her song, she says, cursed be Mayrose, cursed, cursed be its inhabitants, says the angels of God, the angel of God. What's going on here, Daniel? What, what is Mayrose? What is Sisera? Is, is, why do people, uh, connect this section in the book of Judges to extraterrestrial life? You know, I'm not the expert on that, but the interpretation I've heard is that it's not anything within, within Earth, it's outside. But I'd, I'd just like to challenge uh, a little bit the question first, to, to be clear. We, we have to understand that in the Torah, humans are a different creation than animals, not so in science. And one of the things that makes us completely different is our free will, which the rabbi was referring to. Uh, I don't think there's an issue with having intelligent life out there, but there is an issue with having life that has free will, because no matter how you interpret Genesis, we're pretty crystal clear that we were all on Mount Sinai when we got the Torah. And as the rabbi explained, you have to have the Torah, you have to have anything said or had lost to deal with your free will. Um, so uh, I think our fundamental sources are telling us that if you're looking for something with free will, it's like you on Earth. Uh, other than that, something pretty intelligent like the computers we make today with AI uh, in an in a, in a animal form could exist elsewhere. And this paragraph could be referring to something like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be have free will. Okay. Do you want to get into the... Very interesting point, and wanted to get to that a little bit in the next segment. Let's put a pin in that and talk about, because it kind of goes to Rabbi Yaffe's comment about like uh, extraterrestrials being subject to no-hide laws uh, if there are extra if there are extraterrestrial intelligent beings. But I wanted, I do want to hit these these references in the text to to just see if there's connective tissue to here. Rabbi Yaffe, do you want to do you want to try a, uh, to help us explain the reference in the Book of Judges? Yes, um, but before that, I, I just, uh, very, very briefly, we should pick up later this question of, uh, of free will, because I am, I am willing to accept that if the test, the test, the test found in halachic texts are passed even by a being made of, made of silicon or, or, uh, you know, a computer or hell from 2001, I am willing to accept human status any, anything that passes the Talmud test. We'll get back to that later. Um, but where I do where, where I do want to go uh, with this uh, is that so it, it's like this: Devora curses Meros, Uro Meros, Uro Yosveha. Cursed are inhabitants that do not come to assist God. 
So the so the Talmud tells us that there's two possibilities. One possibility is that Meiros is a city because the Jewish people were fragmented at the time. The people of Israel weren't called Jews until, you know, 1,300 years later. But uh, the people of Israel were fragmented, and many of the tribes did not participate in this battle uh, against Israel, primarily persecuted uh, the northern tribes. Incidentally, the battle with Sisera may explain the inexplicable collapse of the Hittite Empire. We can do that another time. <laughs> Definitely for uh, another but, show. But um, but the point is, that so the first thing, Martha City, it's a city of people who could help, who had, who had the strength and military ability to help, and chose not to help. But earlier in the in the in this song, the Torah says the very stars from their from their path, the very stars from their orbits, uh, fought with Sisera. Which, you know, if you wanna, if you wanna uh, guess, it could be a, an unfortunate meteor shower. Unfortunate for Sisera's guys hit them. You know, the stars from their path it could be a meteor. Whatever. I'm, mm-hmm. Again, a different discussion. But then she says that the stars from their paths and cursed as Meros. So the Talmud says, well, maybe Meros is a star. So she's cursing the inhabitants of a star for not helping. Uh, you know, one thinks of uh, one thinks of the sequel, uh, not the sequel, but the end of uh, Mel Brooks's uh, um, History of the World Part One, Jews in Space, and apparently Part Two does have the Jews in Space segment, and you have people with payas and perhaps uh, firing laser guns, you know, at, at you know alien ships. You know, so conceivably, you know, we think of aliens with laser guns attacking Sisera. Might be overkill on the technology front. But anyway, the point being that we suggest that there's a star that has inhabitants. Right. Yeah, and Re- said, Rabbi, Rabbi Svi Friedman, who's been on the show before, is also writes, a colleague of yours writes on Chabad.org, is actually, I was interested to learn that, that this, was a, this was an argument that was made by the great Rebbe Menachem Schneerson as well after the first moon landing, this reference to the possibility in the Book of Judges that there's this, you know, inhabitants of a... Well, the Rebbe is not saying, the, this is not, um, this is not a novel interpretation of the Rebbe, um, you know, but, uh, but there is an interesting take on the question of extraterrestrial life itself, where Belville Green of Blessed Memory, Professor William, Professor Green, uh, was one of the first people to engage in the question of exobiology. He worked for NASA. He was involved with several universities. And with the technology of the time, of the 60s and 70s, he didn't find very much. And he once expressed his frustration to the Rebbe, who he's close to, saying, hey, you know, uh, should I really continue this? And the Rebbe said the purpose of science, among other things, but... One of the great purposes of science is the knowledge itself, is to understand God's creations and thereby appreciate God evermore. And therefore, and therefore, to say that God, who created this amazing, vast, and complex universe, could have created life only on Earth and nowhere else, is a tremendous disrespect and negation of God's potential. And I would argue that the universe just keeps getting bigger in our eyes. I mean to say, the vastness of the universe with each new telescope actually ex- expands. We, the universe is much bigger than we thought it was, and our other guests probably know a lot more about this than I do. So, but my point being that the idea 
that there would be any uh, any uh, bar to God creating whatever God wants to create is one question. Is the Gvora singing about a star with actual inhabitants? Remember, Maimonides holds that all... Just because we're going we're gonna to hit, hit our next break. Yeah, so I, I no just, problem. It's okay. a, yeah, no, very, very well... The, the, the point's very well made, that, and I think it's contra- counterintuitive, perhaps the people that tuned in right at the outset of the hour was counterintuitive to me, that there isn't any inherent contradiction here, that there's, there is a... Certainly, if, 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 if Hashem creates everything, why would that ever, everything we presuppose doesn't include extraterrestrial life. However, before we take our break, Daniel, I do want to try to get to an area of potential um, where this this becomes a little bit more pointed or problematic. If 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 we find through scientific discovery, Daniel, that extraterrestrial life predates human life scientifically, uh, does this contradict Torah ipso facto in your view? Like by definition, is this a contradiction? Or in your view, is there a possible accommodation between that potential scientific discovery and Torah? What's what's your view, Daniel, from a non-halachic perspective, but from a from looking at the intersection of Torah and science? as I said before, if, if this intelligent life is a very intelligent animal, I don't see any contradiction. The animals will uh, predate humans by quite a bit. I see. Uh, but if it's, if, it's a, if it's a carbon copy of a human, I, I think it's an issue. I think it's an issue, period. Doesn't matter whether it's before or after. Um, because humans were given the Torah, and the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, not, not Mars. So if you've got a, you may, the answer to this is probably after our next break. And some listeners are going to think I'm bananas when I ask it this way. But actually, this has been a question that's been somewhat tongue in cheek, uh, put forward by science fiction writers, but thinking about this through the, the prism of Jewish law. Daniel, if there's a jellyfish that's absolutely not a carbon copy of a human, but predates you know, by, I don't know, millions of years or what have you, the existence of, of human life as science discovers or dictates. And that intelligent jellyfish arguably is, ha- is much, maybe in, in this hypothetical is much more intelligent than a human being and is, has a, a consciousness and an id and a superego, whatever you do, scientific uh, ways of thinking about it. It's, is that a contradiction to Torah or is there still an accommodation. And we're going to take our next break. And I want to pose that question first for you, Daniel, the jellyfish problem. And then to you as well, Rabbi Afi, we'll be right back talking about the halacha of aliens. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. 
you're back on Equal Footing. I'm going to give the, we've already got some really cool, fun, uh, text questions and comments that have come in. I'll give that number one more time. If you want to text in comments, questions, observations to our guests, Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe and scientist and entrepreneur Daniel Friedman, the number is 917-428-4062. Keep them coming. And our live participation line is 718-303-9090. Pose the jellyfish question prior to the break. <laughs> what do you think, Daniel? This very intelligent jellyfish, more intelligent than us, predates our existence, exists, I don't know, 50 light years away. Is that problematic from a Torah perspective? No. You know, we have a very intelligent dolphins right here that, according to science, predate our existence. They're talented. They're quick learners. They're self-aware. They can solve problems. They have empathy. I don't know if they're more intelligent than us. They have a hard time. Defining intelligence, it boils down to free will. There's nothing in the Torah that says that animals are not intelligent. It does say that humans are the only ones that have free will, and therefore they need the Noahide laws in the Torah to not mess things up. We're still mess things up, but we need the Torah to not mess them up. Now, Rabbi Yaffe, you kind of tune, you, you turned me on to this, this example. There's this, the great, uh, you know, science fiction writer and blessed memory, Philip Class, uh, also known as, uh, William Tell, is a, a 10, excuse me, his real name, uh, sorry, his pseudonym, William 10, um, he wrote a, a great short story called, uh, Oh Venus, I've got a, have, we have a rabbi f- for you, or something along the, maybe get the title a little bit wrong, but what if that jellyfish absolutely has free will and comes to, uh, you know, a, a, an Orthodox rabbi hundreds of years from now on, you know, on, on a, where we've inhabited another planet. By the way, teaser next week, we're going to talk about the halacha of interplanetary colonization by humans, a little bit of a different topic, but you have this, uh, intelligent, self-aware, uh, possessing a free will jellyfish that, uh, that, that wants to convert to Judaism. First of all, is the existence of that jellyfish problematic? from a halachic perspective, and uh, can they be converted if they want to be? Rabbi Yaffe? I hope I haven't scared you off the air. <laughs> Rabbi, are you there? I think you're there. You might be on mute or you may have, may, may have a bad connect. Um, so, so, Daniel, let's add free will to the equation. This jellyfish absolutely has free will and wants to convert. What's your take now? Well, you know, yeah, my my knowledge, I don't I don't convert people, but I believe that Torah is telling us there is no jellyfish out there with free will. Got it. So it is problematic. Just to just to nail this down, if there is alien life that exists, that is that has free will, whether predates human life or not scientifically, that does present present. A problem or a contradiction from a Torah perspective. That's that's my opinion. I studied a little bit too. I actually published a book on all this letters on science and Torah. Um, in my opinion, it does because if you create something with free will, you have to give them the Torah. To create something that's super intelligent without free will, you don't have to give them the Torah. And, and there's all kinds of interpretations to Genesis, but. Uh, there's not much interpretation when it comes to Passover. We've got the Torah. Got it. So there is, there are potentially uh, trains in the track here running at each other. 
uh, it'll be interesting to see how this evolves from a halakhic perspective and a scientific discovery perspective over the coming years. I want to get to a Torah portion uh, from Genesis, actually, Genesis 6, uh, 1 through 4, that a couple of our listeners have brought up and is in our show notes. And I'm going to read it in the English. English translations are always subject to uh, to different folks' point of view. Um, but it says, And it came to pass when man began to increase upon the earth, and daughters were born to them. The Bnei Elohim saw that the daughters of man were good, and they took themselves wives from whoever they chose. Skipping a little bit here. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward... The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the Bnei Elohim would consort with the daughters of man who would bear to them children. They were the mighty who from old were men of renown. Now, the question is, uh, and, and I don't know if we've got the rabbi back on, to Daniel, you're, you're, you're shouldering a lot, a lot of the load here, but who who are the Bnei Elohim and the Nephilim? The, the Bnei Elohim literally means the children of the gods, or at least godlike. Uh, the literal meaning of Nephilim is the fallen, fallen ones, fallen from where? Are these, are these references to extraterrestrials directly from uh, Bereshit? Uh, you know, I've studied uh, many of these definitions. I didn't see extraterrestrial definitions. There's all kinds of definitions. I'm sure that I have a better understanding than I do. But I didn't see this as, as extraterrestrials myself. What do you see these references to? Uh, some people say they're, they're giants. Some people say, you know, it, it's not God, it's a king, which, of course, it's the name of God, but it, it's also... Uh, you know, a, a high, could be a high-class member that has, that has you know, fallen to a lower class or, or taken advantage of the lower class. Uh, there's many different interpretations that, that are way closer to fitting the general story than, than extraterrestrials. Okay. Rabbi Yaffe, do we um, have you again? You have me. Can you hear me? We can, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, as, I, as I told your producer... Um, I'm passing through various places, and some have better reception than others. But I'm, I seem to see some cell towers here, so we should be cool. Okay, so, uh, first of all, I concur with, uh, with Dr. Friedman, uh, that, uh, that, that these references to Nephilim and the sons of, the sons of Elohim, which would probably not be interpreted God, um, are, uh, are not references to extraterrestrials. Again, you know, one can interpret you know, when it, if it's not, an important rule uh, about interpreting the Torah. Uh, and again, this is from a classic Orthodox perspective that if it does not negate halacha and does not negate a fundamental principle of faith, which is in itself a question of debate, what are the immutable principles of faith? Uh, one is entitled to interpret the Torah. Uh, in any way that is salutary and doesn't contradict uh, our basic attitude and respect uh, for the Torah. So, you know, do any of the classic interpretations suggest that extraterrestrials? No. Um, and remember, I was saying before the before I got before I I got lost for a little bit that Maimonides holds that uh, there are numerous uh, planets and stars and the like. Uh, that have uh, that are conscious and are more intelligent than human beings, uh, though not necessarily, which is a separate question from free will. 
so the, the idea that, that many great Jewish thinkers embrace the idea of various intelligences, indeed the whole concept of angels, so for that matter, um, Shadim, which are translated demons, but which are actually, from a theological perspective, not uh, not scary things with horns, but actually, you know, a, a life form that hovers between uh, the physical and the spiritual and so on. There, there are so many uh, references to life forms other than that which exists on this planet uh, that one could conceivably uh, could conceivably interpret the Torah in many ways. I go with the classical interpretations and these reference to beings that uh, to be to beings that uh, relate to the intersection of entirely spiritual and physical beings. You know, it's 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 interesting. I I really appreciate the the that the uh, giving us that that guidance, Rabbi. In uh, there there are there are a number of of writers that some from within the traditional uh, Orthodox kind of um, arena, others outside. Rabbi Mark Hillel Kunis, for example, has, write, has written extensively on this on these passages, and it, it, it it's there isn't a cons- what I would call a consensus on the point, even from an Orthodox perspective. There's there's kind of some room for interpretation, but I think the int- what's interesting more to me than kind of going down that that rabbit hole is the fact that in this whole ancient aliens um uh kind of fad that's out there all you have to do is you know turn on put on you know netflix or hulu you'll see lots of shows on ancient aliens and there's a lot of discussion on this in the christian world there's a ton of focus on these passages and i just i find it interesting that in the jewish world uh there's been there's without doubt less of a discussion and there and there seems to be a more definitive answer and i think that's helpful as well to to our jewish listeners i, I want to can i uh, i, I want to make a very important point and i don't think dr freeman will disagree with me judaism deals with reality as i said at the beginning if something exists that means god created it and if it exists we have to deal with it one way or the other so it it's in other words the only acid test of this is when we come across aliens. If we come across aliens and they are intelligent, uh, etc., so then we will have to, this is reality, we have to deal with it. Just I, like yeah. we have to deal with physics and chemistry, and Torah does not allow us to hide. And I love that about, 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 that's a lot of the reason why this show even exists. I mean, that, that's absolutely consistent with, uh, with, with our kind of race on Detra. I think you had dropped off the line for a moment there, Rabbi, where I had asked, if that if that alien jellyfish had free will, um, is that then something we have to wrestle with? It is a, is it a problem or contradiction? And I think what I'm hearing well, is, yeah, if it does, we're going to have to deal with that. Right, but I, I want to just say, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and you see in Moss and Free and 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 and, and the you know and uh, and Freeman as a uh, it's Freeman who's also a scientist by training, by the way. Yep. Um, you know, talking about this, the, the Rebbe's point. The, the Rebbe made an interesting point, and I think the words of the wise need interpretation. In other words, they ought to be interpreted. He said, well, the Torah is only given once in one place. This is testified to us throughout the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, as well as our tradition. So therefore, if the if it's the type of intelligence that gives free will, that could only exist where the Torah was given, which we presume is this planet. However, uh what the Rebbe does say, in my opinion, gives opening that either there is some awareness of Sinai, uh, you know, if you have a highly intelligent civilization, uh, presumably they might might have a telescope trained on Sinai at the right year, 
uh, that's number one, uh, or send spaceships down or whatever, uh, or for that matter, the information, you know, it says that when God spoke at Sinai, whatever spoke means with God, the whole world heard. You know, so if that's the case, why can't the whole universe hear? If, if God can suspend sure. the normal order of nature for a moment, why can't it? The, the Rebbe's point is that if people did not hear of the giving of the Torah, they're not in a position to know about it, you can't give people free will. And I say people, I mean any life form. You can't give them free will without the opportunity how to properly use the free will. And I think a good operative... Rabbi, what, what did, did, we're going to have to take a break in a second, but did, did Rebbe Schneerson ever get a question, a kind of a hypothetical question we posed earlier in the show about could an alien who has free will ask to be converted to, to Judaism? It's an interesting no, question. No, Four or five no, listeners of all no. sorts. No, no, so let me just say, to the best of my knowledge, you know, the Rebbe had an extensive correspondence and we don't have access to all of it, much of it was personal in the meetings and so on, uh, dollars, etc. But uh, the point being, the only thing I know the Rebbe said about this is this thing that Steve Freeman's quoted, that I just quoted. I don't know anything more. I don't know. Any, I don't know of any other, of any other, of any other case of the Rebbe dealing with it. But the Rebbe was very, you know, was 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 very emphatic that, and and we we come back to this that it is not possible for there ever to be a contradiction between nature and Torah. What I mean to say is, you know, you can have a scientific theory that turns out not to be, uh, you know, 100% accurate. You know, Newton isn't entirely accurate about gravity that works for dropping, you know, dropping things on people's, you know, on people's heads and so on, but it doesn't work, you know, at the cosmic level. You have uh, a different theory of gravity today. Uh, very briefly, Torah and reality can never yeah, that, contradict no, that's a, that point Torah has been, has been well made. I, one one yeah. last question from the text, and then the, I want to do this last segment here after the next break to get to some listener comments and questions. The Babylonian Talmud uh, of Odazara, it's in 3b, tells us God roams over 18,000 worlds. Uh, there's there, the basic premise of the existence of ter- extraterrestrial life is also strongly supported by the Zohar. There's a Midrash teaching that there are seven Earths, and and uh, there's that the, the, there's arguments that refer to the seven contents, but also s- separated by firmament, firmaments, etc. So these other references, this one of God roams over eighteen thousand worlds. Do either of you have any uh, any commentary uh, on, on that particular uh, Talmudic reference? Well, I, I can jump in and say that that all the Kabbalists uh, understand this to be a reference to spiritual worlds, to spiritual realms. Um, I don't know of anyone who interprets it as relating to actual um, physical worlds, because if God roams over 18,000 worlds, uh, that's much smaller than the number of worlds uh, in the universe, and clearly we don't want to be cheap on God. And also, you should know that in the suggestion of the number of the number of the number, there is a and I, I forget there's a midrashic passage uh, that indicates the number of stars in the universe, which is actually much bigger than the number scientists posit right now. Yeah. Daniel, do you, sure do you agree with, with Rabbi Yaffe's <laughs> uh, comment that, that the God roams over 18,000 worlds refers, uh, the consensus is those are spiritual worlds, not physical worlds? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I'd like to make a point of very important in the first part of the other religions you're bringing in. You know, Christianity and so on, they can pull these quotes out and try to interpret any way they want. But in Judaism, we have the oral Torah. 
We have the Talmud. We have Kabbalah. We have Midrash. We have context. So when we get to these things, as the, as the rabbi just explained, we know what world means in Judaism. It, it means world and, and, and earth. It, it doesn't mean planet and, and things out there. All right. It, it is spiritual. Seems like there's a clear, a clear answer on, on that one, too. We had a couple of listeners also that asked about that quote. We're going to be right back. Last break, we're going to get to some really, we're going to do some rapid fire questions from, from listeners to, to both of you. We'll be right back on equal footing. We're talking about the halacha of extraterrestrial life with scientist and scholar Daniel Friedman and scholar, subject matter expert, Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe. We'll be right back. It's always a pleasure on equal footing to talk about a new sponsor. And this is a new sponsor very much in line with our philosophy, as we talked about earlier in the show, about being willing to talk about anything, especially the tough stuff. This sponsor is the the What If Intimacy Workshops. These are couples workshops. Uh, they're based on both inner and outer exercise, rooted in Jewish philosophy and belief, to help couples achieve real breakthroughs and intimacy and overcoming obstacles. Areas of these three-day workshops include improving communication, articulating needs, breaking down barriers, releasing shame and insecurity, exploring desires, etc. There's even a session with guest, a guest lecture on the concept of sacred sex. If you are a couple and you're looking to go deeper in the intimate space, Check it out. You got to check out these what if intimacy workshops. They're immersive workshops take place both in the city and in the Catskills. Uh, there are lodging references that are available for the, for the Catskills. The number to call is 848-305-9903. And I'm going to give you the dates for the spring and early summer schedule. May 12th to 14th, June 2nd to 4th, and June 16th to 18th. That's May 12th to 14th, June 2nd to 4th, and June 16th to 8th to 18th. Attendance is limited to six couples per workshop. So call and sign up 848-305-9903. There's a sliding scale available in terms of pricing to make it affordable for anybody. Again, if you want to achieve real breakthrough in your intimacy as a couple through the prism of Jewish window of wisdom, <laughs> through the window of Jewish wisdom, check out the What If Intimacy Workshops. 848-305-9903. All right. We've got a couple as we're just winding up here. We've got a couple of listeners who have said this stuff is really complex. And yes, mixing religion with, you could call it sci-fi, but it really is increasingly grounded science is complex. Uh, so let's kind of take some of these more, I think, very candid and simple questions. Uh, we have uh, one listener is Ellie and Muncie who says, why are we so defensive? I feel like both of your guests are defensive on the topic of intelligent life. Um, he goes on, but I, I would, I agree with Ellie to some degree. It feels almost like there's a sense, and maybe it's the way I'm asking the questions, that somehow it's, it's threatening or intrinsically 
problematic. Um, help, Daniel, start with you. Do, do you think there's a defensiveness in, uh, in, in kind of the Torah study community and when you look at this halachically to what is increasingly look like, looking probable that there's intelligent life out there that may have free will? No, not from what I've studied. Uh, you know, we, we've gone over what the Rebbe said. Uh, can't get more off of that. Um, I, I don't. I don't see that even in the reform side. I don't. I don't see defensiveness uh, towards life in other places. Rabbi, what do you say to Ellie? Do, do you think that it doesn't necessarily have to be you, but do you think there is some defensiveness in in our community around this increasingly probable prospect on the horizon? I mean, uh, look, increasingly probable is, uh, is, a, is, a, is in itself a very, very speculative statement uh, because, you know, because... Uh, Ellie might say that response is, is itself kind of defensive. No, I, I, it's not defensive because, again, you know, I'm just saying, look, if we're talking here, you know, about, about science and what science uh, has explored at the moment, I'm just saying there's absolutely no evidence yet uh, that it's increasingly probable. I'm not defensive. I don't care if there is a thousand worlds with intelligent life. You know what I mean? It's no problem to me. However, the issue of free will and Torah is an issue, as I discussed earlier. I won't, I won't go over it. Um, but not every intelligent being, for example, angels are considered far more knowledgeable and intelligent than us. It is fundamental to and belief that angels exist. Yet angels, on the whole, are not perceived as having truly free will. Uh, they're called uh, beasts for that reason. The big idea in Kabbalah, and especially the development of Kabbalah and Hasidic texts. I want to get uh, I want to get to other listeners' questions. That's a, that I heard the response. So there's no, there's, there's there, no defensiveness. Okay, so there are, there are two Christian listeners asked a similar question. Ricardo in Austin, Texas, Nicole in Boston, both think that in uh, Christianity it's a more of a simple hard no. I'm kind of using my own overlaid language here because there's a firm belief that man. I'm using Ricardo's uh, note here that man is supposed to be created in the image of. God, uh, and therefore any alien that isn't created, that looks like man, um, can, must be conflictual with Christian belief. Um, it seems that in Judaism, that's not necessarily the case, which is kind of refreshing. Uh, Daniel, do you, I mean, neither, none of, nobody here on the call is a Christian theologist, but do you agree with these listeners that it's kind of a little bit more complex and interesting, perhaps, through the prism of Jewish belief? You know, we don't disagree with the listeners that we were created in the image of God. Uh, we have a very clear interpretation in the Torah from our oral tradition that the image of God means, and it means a few things, but the main thing it means is free will. That's why we keep getting stuck on that. Uh, it doesn't mean intelligence. Uh, it means some aspect of intelligence, God's creative power, but not general intelligence. Um, so that's why we're not stuck on it. We, we have a very definition of the image of God. It's not that he looks that he looked like God, obviously. Rabbi Yaffe, any observation on that, or should I get to the, go to the next listener question? Well, not man is created in the image of God. Um, define man. Define man. And uh, and I will and I will if when you give me a moment before we're over, if you want to give me the moment now, um, the Yerushalmi in Nida has a very clear. I won't give you the whole back and forth. It's the whole, it's the whole back and forth. But the basic premise is 
that a being that looks entirely like a beast, like an animal, let us say, right? One of the animals we know, or an animal we don't know, that is, if, if the Gemara says, if it's sitting and studying Torah, will you tell it come be slaughtered? And if it looks like a man, but is plowing the field, will you tell it to come perform leopard marriage on its relative? And the point of the Talmudic statement is why it's simple, that a being that studies Torah is a human being, and we don't treat it like an animal. What does it mean to study Torah? It means what? Torah is the application of God's law, so that means you have free will. It means you're capable of abstract knowledge and of altruistic behavior, because Torah demands that we go against our own uh, physical security, reproductive interests, sometimes at the expense of our life, to do what the Torah says. You need free will, you need, you need, you need, you need intelligence, and you need the capacity for altruism. If you have the capacity to to, uh, to uh, follow the Torah, to freely choose between good and evil, and to do so in a way that is abstract and altruistic. In other words, you're willing to put your physical self, your physical benefits on the line for the sake of a pure idea. So then you're a human being. Okay. I don't care. If yeah, this, this, if, this is one of the primary lessons, I think, of the show tonight is this concept of, of, of free will and how intrinsically that ties into, uh, the, the definition of, uh, of any kind of extraterrestrial life that could even potentially be, um, problematic or interesting or require some sort of a reassessment or analysis in terms of halacha. I want to get to one more listener's question before we run out of time. And, and Daniel, this is, um, directed to you and it's a bit edited just for uh just for uh length um and this is coming from Manny in Los Angeles um and he is asking about general scientific discovery and if you're a scientist as I am you have to acknowledge that as horizons and boundaries expand you may find information that contradicts your belief it may even be information that supersedes and improves an existing belief system daniel the question to you do you accept this possibility in your own life in your own uh, academic life he says Yes, you know, we, we, I think both of us accept the same thing, that the Torah is a description of reality. We are not geniuses that are interpreting it perfectly, but we, we learn every day. And if we find something in reality that's real, uh, it, it, it's not a contradiction. We, we, we'll find it there. Having said that, the reason I got into this whole business is because I didn't find the answers in, in, in science. Science has made a lot of things very clear, but it's made a lot of things very unclear, like the beginning of the universe. Yeah. Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe, I have to end it on that note. Sorry, we're out of time. I'd love to have you guys back on. Rabbi Shlomo Yaffe, uh, scientist and Torah scholar, Daniel Friedman, thank you so much for joining us. Next week, we're going to be talking about the halacha of interplanetary colonization. Thank you, gentlemen.